Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. With the midterm elections coming, we're seeing a lot more veterans running for public office across the country, specifically Special Forces veterans. I sat down with one of them to discuss this not too long ago. Tyler Alcorn from Colorado is a former Green Beret, and he served four combat tours in the Middle East. Take a listen. Tyler Alcorn, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Yeah, Steve, thanks for having me here. You're also planning on running for Congress in uh, the state of Colorado. I am, yes. And there's a unique phenomenon right now. We're seeing a lot more special forces uh, folks, you know, retired or, you know, tell us why that is. I don't think anybody quite knows exactly why. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I always tell people it's going to be a great poli-sci paper that comes out here in the future. Uh, but I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, we see it. We saw a huge decline since the late '60s. Uh, it was hovering around 75 percent of Congress. I think it was around 81 percent. I think at the high for the Senate of veterans that were serving. Now it's sitting around 14 percent, somewhere somewhere along there. And I think after our country's been at war for the last 20 years, uh, veterans seeing what's going on in their country, how it's uh, moving forward, wanting to stand up and, and do more and continue to serve their country. Uh, in particular, we saw, you know, we've seen a lot of Navy SEALs step into the fray. Uh, we saw the first Green Beret uh, get elected, uh, the Army Green Beret get elected out of Florida, Mike Waltz. Uh, and now we see, you know, eight, nine uh, Green Berets now running for Congress uh, all across the country, uh, trying to step up and do more. Tell me your story. Is it just some type of uh, deep uh, inner calling that you feel? Yeah, you know, service is such a, an important part for me. Ever since I left the service, the, you know, a lot of veterans have a, a feeling where they're missing something and they're trying to find what that is. Uh, you know, it's commonly referred to as their tribe, trying to find that tribe again and what can they do. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be working for a company now that helps veterans find uh, career opportunities, whether they're transitioning out of the military or pivoting to new careers. Uh, and I, for, I've been there for about a year now and it's truly gratifying but there was still something missing. And after watching what happened in Afghanistan, just the absolute you know, debacle that that was, and understanding the, you know, the military decision-making process, how those things you know, work and operate, realizing there's more I can do because clearly it's missing, and wanting to step back into the fray and continue to serve my country and realizing that thing that I was still missing had to do with service and continuing to give back and represent others uh, and put myself in the, the field of fire to make that happen. Now we have one of the most uh, fascinating uh, mid-cycle elections coming up. Even the primaries are gaining a lot of uh, eyeballs and ratings. You have President Trump weighing in. You have all kinds of different subplots, if you will. You know, the country as a whole is is pushing, uh, in my opinion, further, further to the right. And, you know, you, we constantly hear this concept of the red wave, right? And I think that's people seeing you know the, the policies of the Trump administration uh, where we were then and now seeing where we are now and wanting to step up and continue to do more and we're seeing more service members say enough is enough right after we see failed leadership we want to step in and uh, so here in Colorado we actually gained a district so I, you know I'm running in the 8th congressional district it's a new district here in Colorado uh, just with the increase in population due to the census we, we gained that what are some of the things you're hearing on the ground so you know, here there, there's a lot of issues at hand, but also because of the massive oil and gas uh, portion of the state that I'm looking to represent as well, 
you know, and the energy independence that we're looking at here in the country. You know, there, there's a lot that the people here in Colorado can do actually to affect where we're going to be moving forward in the future. And, uh, and it's making sure we have the right kind of representation that's going to push for that, going to actually push for the people to make sure that we get there. Uh, so a lot of the things that actually are, are affecting the country as a whole, right here in the state of Colorado, uh, some of the solutions are right here. Right? You know, we have people standing up in the school boards against CRT. We have people standing up against uh, you know, this green uh, initiative that the current administration is trying to push to push towards energy independence, which is directly affecting the jobs here in the state and the revenue it brings in. Tyler Alcorn, thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you. A new report by the National Association of Scholars found that Chinese communist propaganda, once delivered to U.S. college campuses through Confucius Institutes, now continues under a new name. Over the last four years, more than 100 Confucius Institutes were shut down after the FBI, State Department, and Congress found them to be sources of CCP propaganda and espionage. But the Chinese regime found other ways to influence American campuses by offering rebranded replacement programs. The report found that dozens of American institutions maintained their relationships with the CCP affiliate by opening up similar programs. The National Association of Scholars found out about this by filing freedom of information requests. Indiana Congressman Jim Banks has been sounding the alarm bells over the threats the Chinese Communist Party poses to the American homeland. He's introduced multiple bills aimed at thwarting the CCP's influence in the U.S. Today he is warning of the threat that the CCP and their backed organizations pose on our college campuses. We had a chance to ask him about this earlier. Congressman Jim Banks, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you. Congressman, could you just give us a little bit of an idea as to why you think the Confucius Institutes and other entities of the like are pose such a threat to the United States? Well, fortunately, under President Trump, for the first time ever, we had an administration that took the China threat seriously, and we saw almost every Confucius Institute in America shut down on Donald Trump's watch. Un unfortunately, with Joe Biden in the White House, we're seeing the opposite. Uh, the Confucius Institute and the threats that uh, that they pose, espionage on college campuses, uh, malign influences on, at American universities through Confucius Institutes have come back under different names. The threat is still there. In fact, it's growing because we have an administration that isn't just turning a blind eye, they're welcoming the, to, uh, a rise of uh, Chinese malign influence in the United States. Again, it's shameful. Uh, we we uh, can't do much about it with Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats who control the Congress completely ignoring the threat. But if and when Republicans gain back the majority in the midterm elections, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to address these threats again. Congressman, how concerning is it that the experts on some of the uh, campuses, Harvard, you know, Fairbanks Center for China Research, have been compromised or at the very least influenced by the Chinese government? Well, it's greatly concerning. Uh, the, the examples are many. I read a list of examples uh, to the Heritage Foundation here this morning of examples of malign uh, CCP influences on college campuses in America that continue to be prevalent uh, today. When you have researchers at Harvard and um, other major institutions uh, in America, you have institutions that receive federal, federally uh, funded grants uh, to research sensitive, uh, even uh, national security related projects, and they use uh, researchers or students uh, who, are, who, who come with a specific purpose uh, to infiltrate and send that important uh, sensitive research and its conclusions back 
to our biggest adversary. It just, it just goes to show you that the universities are a big part of the problem. So we need better uh, guardrails on how, this, uh, how research is funded in America and who's participating in that research. And there needs to be more accountability. And I, I, I've introduced a number of pieces of legislation that would, do, would provide better oversight, better guardrails, and then hold these universities accountable who turn a blind eye to the threat that's obviously uh, something that's, uh, that, that is growing uh, throughout the United States. Congressman Jim Banks, thank you so much. Thank you. With President Biden considering the removal of some China tariffs and the resurgence of a CCP-affiliated organization in the United States, many are concerned over the direction of the country. After speaking with Congressman Banks, we also had a chance to speak to Rochelle Peterson about her new book, After Confucius Institutes. Here's what she said. Rochelle Peterson, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. My pleasure. Thank you for being here. Rochelle, please tell us about your book here, After uh, Confucius Institutes. What have you discovered? Well, basically, Confucius Institutes have been a central node of the Chinese government's overseas influence operations. We thought they had pretty much died out in the United States, but it turns out they have reincarnated themselves under a variety of new names. So the problem isn't gone. It's just been renamed and become a lot harder to track. So that's what we're exposing in this new report. It's interesting. You're saying that they've renamed themselves. Just the, the whole name of Confucius Institute sounds like a renaming of sorts. So how do you fight this? subtle ideological battle. Well, the first part is to expose it and to name it and, and show that this, you know, once we thought this was a policy victory, but actually the problem has come back. And then the next step will be to use some of the same policies that targeted Confucius Institutes and bring them to bear against these new programs uh, and really go after the Chinese government more aggressively and make it harder for colleges and universities to fall for some of these programs that the Chinese Communist Party is uh, spreading. And could you tell us what types of things or, or programs that you're seeing starting to pop up under the guise of whatever the new name might be? So officially there's still Chinese language and culture programs, but it's Chinese culture as approved by the Chinese Communist Party. So no ethnic minorities, no religious minorities, uh, you won't get a straight answer on Tiananmen Square, on the status of Tibet or Taiwan. Um, it's, it's everything the Chinese government would want you to know about China and nothing else. And what types of um, operations or what do you think their motivation is with these uh, types of programs? Well, the goal is to win the hearts and minds of American youth and make them uh, think well of the Chinese government, of the Chinese Communist Party, and uh, um, want to go along with the Chinese Communist Party's goals. Uh, but it's also a way to have a strategic outpost on a college campus and keep an eye on Chinese students who are studying abroad, uh, keep an eye on research and technology that's developing at the university, and, and just have an ear to the ground. So it's really a strategic place for the Chinese government to be. And do you think there's anything that the United States government can do to kind of push back on these? Absolutely. Uh, the U.S. government should consider instituting a tax on Chinese gifts to colleges and universities, or even putting a cap on the amount of money that they can receive from Chinese sources uh, before jeopardizing eligibility for federal funds. Those kinds of aggressive policies will wean colleges and universities away from this Chinese government funding and uh, protect students from the kinds of propaganda that the Chinese government is spreading. Rochelle, thank you so much for your time and congratulations on your new book. Thank you. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. 
Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.